Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, thank you for joining me today. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and this is Conversations with Cynthia. Very glad that you are here, and I hope that this show is something of comfort to you. I know it is to me, and um, I know it's helped me tremendously as I've written it. Uh, I also want you to know that this particular show is also part of a blog that I have done, and so you can go onto the web and and type in conversationswithcynthia at wordpress.com, and you can read it if you would like. You can also go to my website at cynthiahyatt.com, and always remember my name is spelled with an I. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A. Hyatt, H-I-E-T-T dot com. And at the bottom of that screen on the, the homepage, you will find a place that has a little light bulb and it's, it's uh, blogs that I've done. So today, this is entitled The God Who Sees Me. And this is particularly poignant, poignant for me today because uh, Father's Day happened this uh, last Sunday. And that was the first Father's Day my family has had since my father's passing. So it was kind of a, it was a tough day. It was painful in many ways. And um, my father did not um, die a tragic death. He died of old age, and it was a quite long, protracted process. And it was, that was a painful one to see my father have to go through that. And to know that all through my father's, um, all that languishing, all that time that he was in hospice, that God saw that and was with him and preparing him for eternity. So I could read this one to you today and absolutely expound on it and tell you that God is the God who sees me. He is the God who sees you. And he does see what we are going through. He sees our trials. He sees our accomplishments, our successes. He sees the wonderful things that are happening. He sees the hard things that are going on, the things that endure, the things that just appear. He sees. He sees everything. And sometimes it causes us to feel like, well, if he sees everything, why isn't he doing something? You know, and that's one of those really hard things about understanding that this is the God of the universe and his ways are not our ways. And I know that sometimes sounds like a trite explanation, but I know I've had to grapple with that. And I've had to remind myself that God's ways are not my ways. And always in retrospect, I love his ways. Every time I look back and I see what God was doing, I know it was the best way. But while I am in it, doesn't always seem the best way. And so I want you to really listen to the show today and ask yourself, what do I need to know that God sees? How do I need to feel his presence so that I know that he sees what is happening or that he sees what I need? And so as we look at this, I want you to look at Genesis uh, chapter 16, verse 13. And this says, She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. 
And that's really powerful. And this story, we are going to talk about a little bit later. But I want you to understand this, this idea, why this verse is so poignant to humans. Because humans have an innate primal need to be seen. Not just to be looked upon, not just to be looked at, but to be seen, really seen and understood by one another. This is one of the reasons that, that women oftentimes struggle when they just feel like they're just being looked at as an object versus being seen for who they are. And maybe, you know, I, we, we know that this happens all the way across the board, men, children, women. You know, men are maybe not seen for who they are, but only looked at for what they do and what they're accomplishing or what they're performing or whether or not they're successful. And so they're not really seen, like nobody's understanding their intentions and what they're intending to do, because many times what men intend to do doesn't always happen in the concrete world. And so this is about being seen. It's reality-based. And when we are truly seen, we are validated and we are made to feel real. When we're seen, we feel connected. And I'm sure that you've had that feeling where it's like, they're not really seeing me. That's not reality. That's not who I really am. They're judging me or misperceiving me or misunderstanding me or projecting things onto me that, that I know are not me. They don't really get me. And so we have this really deep need to be seen. And so I want you to consider um, this experiment. It is called the still face experiment, and it's conducted by Edtronic. Um, in 1975, and I'm going to describe this experiment to you, and it's about a 12 to 16-month-old little girl, and she's being videotaped in an emotionally interacting way with her mother. Now, this is one of the most enduring developmental experiments that have ha- has occurred, and we refer to it often in the in the psychological, psychotherapeutic world because it is so validating of, of what humans need and how early it occurs. Because this little baby is about 12 to 16 months old. And so what we see in this videotape is this mother and this little girl. They're smiling and pointing and cooing and laughing with each other. And about two minutes into this experiment, the mother is asked to turn away and then turn back with a still face. So when I show this um, video to clients, I tell them, listen, it's going to get a little bit rough, but it has a really good ending. Because it's painful to watch what happens to this little infant when her mother turns back to her with a still face that doesn't look like she's even seeing this little girl. And so what happens is that within seconds, you see this child's distress. She does everything she can to reconnect, even shrieking to get her mother to notice or acknowledge her. This is in about 10 to 12 seconds this starts occurring. And she starts to think to herself, where is my mommy? This doesn't look like my mommy. This isn't how she looks at me. Where did she go? Why can't I get her attention? Why doesn't she see me? And Dr. Tronick states that the child rapidly sobers and grows wary. She makes repeated attempts to get the interaction into its usual reciprocal pattern. And when these attempts fail, this infant withdraws and orients her body and her face away from her mother. She even looks away, hoping to think, If she looks back, her mother will be the mom that she's needing. And so she withdraws from her mother. She has this hopeless facial expression. Truly, it remains one of the most replicated findings in developmental psychology. It it is a phenomenal experience. 
to see. And so this experiment has a powerful and positive resolution in that while the infant experiences this emotional distress, possibly trauma if it's not repaired. Now, this distress is only 30 to 40 seconds long, but it is a long 30 to 40 seconds. The recovery, though, is almost instantaneous when the mother reconnects with her child. And this reveals the power of rip and repair. And that's what that is called in psychotherapeutic terms. It's the rip and repair. And and that occurs in healthy relationships because we are never perfect parents or friends or spouses. But if we are willing, we can quickly repair our imperfect relating experiences with one another with the reward that our willingness to repair the disconnect leads to resiliency in ourselves and strengthens our relationships which is a wonderful, beautiful thing that God has built into the human heart, that once you repair it, it's actually stronger. The bond is stronger when you repair whatever it is that that you did that was hurtful. And sometimes it can't be repaired instantly, like in this video. Maybe it takes a year to repair it. But the more that we experience our imperfect counterparts and we experience them repairing, we become stronger, the relationship becomes stronger. So what I want you to think about is, like this infant, our need to be seen is so powerful that we will even change our story or our appearance to make it safe to be seen. Think about that. Because we don't trust that others will love us if they really see the real us. But the need to be seen is so powerful that it can cause great dysfunction and great toxicity in in our hearts and our souls. And so as a way to make sure that we get a positive response, many times we change who we are just to be seen. Because the need to be seen can drive us to even produce negative behaviors, even if it means that we will be noticed. And this is oftentimes what we refer to as negative attention-seeking. And we see this in the infant, that she starts out cooing and smiling and pointing and trying to positively get her mom to interact with her. And when her mother doesn't, she resorts to things like shrieking, and turning away and withdrawing because she's not being seen. So even though the negative attention doesn't produce a positive connection, what happens with humans is it's often better to be seen than not seen at all. So we see that regardless of the pain that we are in, when we are seen, when we connect positively, the pain becomes more manageable even if nothing changes in our circumstances. And I can tell you that that I see this uh, day in and day out in my practice. People come in, they're finally honest with someone. They finally are saying, I have to be honest, I'm just going to tell you. And and I have people that sometimes in the first 10 minutes they go, I'm not going to lie, I don't care, I just got to tell somebody. Sometimes it takes people a couple of months to really trust me, to tell me what really is the issue and what they're hiding, what their secrets are. But what happens is, When they are seen by me and understood and validated and accepted by me, regardless of what's going on in their life, regardless of what they've done, what they want to do, what they're trying not to do, what's being done to them, that they're not stopping, whatever is the issue, when they are seen by me, they are immediately strengthened by the connection. And they leave my office better, stronger, more hopeful, And nothing has really changed for them yet. We haven't even got to actually change their life yet. But their experience of their life has changed because they have been seen by someone and accepted by someone. So 
the verse that we started with in the, the, the top of this hour, this is the place where we find Hagar. And this is in Genesis, that, that um, 20th chapter. And she's mistreated, she's discarded by Sarai, and Hagar runs away from her mistress. She's feeling unworthy, unwanted, unseen in her flight. And she finds herself alone in the desert. And this is where our story begins. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. I want you to join me in this next segment as we talk about where this Bible verse actually came from. This whole saying that he is the God who sees us. He's the God who sees me. He's the God who sees you. So if you haven't listened to the show in its entirety, if you can't, please uh, go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, hit the radio link, and this podcast will be there. Join me again. I look forward to talking to you in the next segment. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm so glad that you joined me again. If you haven't been able to hear this show in its entirety, you can always go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and there is a radio link, and the podcasts are all on that website. You can download them or listen to them right from the computer. You can also go to the um, to 1360 Faith Talk KPXQ, that site, and they will direct you also to where the shows are. So... We left that last hour with the story of Hagar in Genesis chapter 20, verse 6 through 16. And this is the story of the God who sees me. And this is where the story emanates from. And, and we, we were understanding in the, the top of the show the, how imperative it is for humans to be seen. It's an innate principle. And you see this through even in the, the mammal, the rest of the mammal world, their desire to be seen. We see uh, now, not that birds are mammals, but we see, bird, you know, the male popula- the male strain of birds generally are the ones that have the most beautiful feathers, and they are showing them off all the time. And we see this all throughout the mammal world, this need to be seen. But it is even more poignant, more powerful, and deeper in humans. Because with humans, if they are not seen, they can struggle with the failure to thrive. And we saw this... Um, in the 1940s, the end of World War II, there was a uh, Russian did a huge experiment with all the orphaned babies that they had after the war. And they were housed in these large warehouses, just crib after crib after crib, hundreds in rows. And um, the whole nursing staff was there to take care of them. And they were instructed to only feed them, change their diapers, bathe them, make sure that they had clean sheets. So they were very well taken care of physically in their physical needs. But none of these babies were held, none of these babies were looked at, none of these babies were talked to, none of these babies were seen, and they perished. That is how powerful this issue of being seen is for humans, how much we need to be seen, and how scary it can be to be seen. So we start here in Genesis chapter 20, verse 6 through 16, and it says, Sarai told Abram, it's all your fault that I'm suffering this abuse. I put my maid in bed with you. And the minute she knows she's pregnant, she treats me like I'm nothing. May God decide which of us is right. So he says, you decide, says Abram. Your maid is your business. Sarai was abusive to Hagar, and Hagar ran away. 
Verses 7 through 8 says, The angel of the Lord found her beside a spring in the desert. It was the spring on the road to Shur. He said, Hagar, maid of Sarai, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm running away from Sarai, my mistress. And verse 19 through 12 says, The angel of God said, Go back to your mistress, put up with her abuse. He continued, I'm going to give you a big family, children past counting. From pregnancy, you'll get a son, name him Ishmael. For God heard you, God answered you. He'll be a bucking bronco of a man, a real fighter, fighting and being fought, always stirring up trouble, always at odds with his family. She answered God by name, praying to the God who spoke to her. You're the God who sees me. Yes, he saw me, and then I saw him. That's how the desert spring got named. God alive sees me, spring. That spring is still there, between Kadesh and Barad. Hagar gave Abram a son. Abram named him Ishmael, and Abram was 86 years old when Hagar gave him the son, Ishmael. So we see this. Nothing in her life changed to the point that she was even told to go back to her mistress and put up with all the, the abuse. Because God knew that in those times, a woman with a baby, an illegitimate per se baby, would never survive. And so the only place she really could go, go to in order to survive and have her child survive was back to her mistress. The difference was God had seen her. God had seen her circumstances, and God gave her a prophecy about her son. And she then had the resiliency and the heart to go back. And if we read the rest of the story, we know that many things changed throughout that, that whole family as soon as Sarai had her own son. So as we look at this, we see that an angel of the Lord appears to her and asks where she comes from and where she is going. I mean, how amazing. In her state of feeling, quote-unquote, less than and not enough, the Lord sees fit to send an angel to speak with her, and she is finally seen. The angel doesn't show up immediately and just say, go back to your mistress. He says, what are you doing here? What's going on? What's happening to you? And, and, and Hagar was able to bear her heart and be seen for what is happening and validated for what's going on. And the angel of the Lord said, yes, I know that, but you need to go back. So we see in the scriptures, then the angel of the Lord, after she had been seen for what was going on, he said, go back to your mistress, submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So not only is she seen by the Lord, the creator of all things, the almighty God of the universe, but her descendants are blessed by him. So can you imagine Hagar's wonderment at the declaration of the angel of the Lord? Why would God look on me, one who is despised and unwanted by her mistress? So how many times have we felt that way? Why would God even look at me after all I have done? or what I am doing, or the mess that I have made, or the mess that I'm in. Why would God even look on me? And maybe I don't even want God to look on me because I'm afraid of what he might think and feel about me. Or we think that of other people. Why would they even want to know me? Why would they even want to see me? What do I even have to offer? Or maybe you're one of those that keeps saying, why doesn't anybody see me? I'm working hard. I'm trying hard. I'm doing all these things. I'm nobody's noticing my talents or my gifts. Nobody's noticing how hard I'm working or how much I'm loving them. Nobody notices all the things I do for them. So we have this need to be seen. 
And so when what we see is that when God sees us, it gives us the strength to endure the hard things. And so this unlivable situation that drove Hagar out into the desert is the one thing the angel tells her to go back to willingly. The difference is she now has the strength to endure the inevitable hardship because she has been seen and valued by the Lord, the one who sees her. I mean, imagine the hardship that Jesus endured on the cross. He endured every beating, every flogging, every conceivable ridicule and unimaginable pain in order that we might have an unbreakable connection with God. Arguably, the most painful part of his crucifixion and death was when all the sins of the world were heaped on his shoulders and God had to then look away. And we see in Matthew chapter 27, 46, we hear Jesus cry out to the Lord. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what I want you to know is that one of the definitions of forsaken is, quote unquote, to turn away from. That means being forsaken. God turned away from Jesus. This was unbearable anguish to Jesus. And after crying out to God, asking, why have you turned away from me? He finally said, it's finished. God looking away practically killed Jesus. That was, it wasn't the, the, the wounds that he had incurred. It was done. It was finished. So we never have to be forsaken by God. God never will look away from us because of Jesus. So we're going to go into the next segment, and I want you to join me again as we talk more about the power of being seen and what that means. This is Cynthia Hyatt, Conversations with Cynthia, and you can go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Also visit my Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc., that's I-N-C for Incorporated. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and again, I'm always thankful that you join me on these Sunday afternoons. And I'm hoping that you also visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and my name is spelled a little differently. It's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com, and there is a radio link. So if you have not been able to listen to the first half hour of the show, or you're finding yourself not being able to listen to this last half hour, You can always go to the website, and there's a podcast right there. Also, I love it when you visit my Facebook page and comment on the things that we have up there. And so you'll find some very inspirational, motivational things as well. So we are talking today about the God who sees me and how poignant this is, how needed this is, this innate need, primal need for humans to be seen. And we talked about... um, the study in the, in the 40s after World War II, uh, when the, the Russian, um, they had all these orphans that were, you know, had, had survived the war, and they were housed in these large warehouses. And they were like cribs, just hundreds in, in columns of these cribs of these little babies that were in these cribs. And the nurses were instructed to uh, take care of every, their, every bit of their physical need perfectly. So they were clean all the time. They had perfect sheets and blankets, and they were changed their diapers all the time and they were bathed and they were fed exactly on the hour, every hour, whatever the schedule was. So they were giving everything they needed physically, but they were told to not look at them, touch them in any kind of affectionate manner, talk to them, hold them. When they cried, they were to be left alone. 
So what we got from that horrible experiment was failure to thrive. That what we see is that people can get their needs met completely, but they don't thrive. These little babies perished. Every single one of them perished. And so what we see is that God knows that we have an innate primal need to be seen. And that oftentimes we will even change who we are or act in a particular way just to hope that someone will see us and acknowledge us and like us and want us. And so we even have ourselves sometimes doing negative attention seeking because even if you don't like what you're seeing and I get negative attention, it's better than not being seen at all. So when we looked at this verse in Genesis, it's, it's uh, chapter 16, verse 13. And it says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And we talked about Dr. Tronick's, uh, Ed Tronick's, uh, this psychological developmental experiment that he did with a child. And it's called the still face experiment. And you can look that up online. It's very fascinating to watch. It's painful to watch. So when I have clients watching it, I always tell them it has a good ending, but it is painful. And so what we see about this whole process that, that um, Hagar went through as she is, is only being mistreated by her mistress Sarah, and she leaves, she runs into the desert. She doesn't know what she's going to do about this baby. And she ends up experiencing God. An angel of the Lord comes, and the Lord speaks to her and says, What are you doing here? Why are you here? And she tells the Lord her whole entire lament about what is going on, and what's Sarai, what, how she is being treated, and she can't live that way. And what happens is, at, through this process, she is seen by God. And imagine her wonderment. When she says, this, this God, he looked on me. And through that process, as he's heard the lament, he then says to her, you need to return to Sarah and you need to submit to her. So this seemingly unbelievable, unlivable situation that drives her out to the desert is the one that the angel of the Lord tells her to go back to. But she goes back with a blessing. She goes back with a resiliency because she was seen by God. So what we see is that when we are seen by God, when we are seen by others, it gives us endurance and resiliency. And so what we found in that whole crucifixion experience is that this is what Jesus experienced. His last moments on the cross is when God turned away. And Jesus said, it is finished. And it's so beautiful that is that this will be the last time that those words will ever be uttered to the, to the children of God. Because Jesus did on the cross what mortal man can never do and never live through, and that is to be forsaken by God. And so Jesus was forsaken in that moment. He took all the sin on the, of the world onto his shoulders and was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be forsaken again. We don't have to fear crying out to God. We don't have to fear what he sees in our life. We don't have to fear or have shame about what situation that we are in. Conviction, guilt, yes, maybe. But fear of what God thinks about us, no. Because he is the God who sees us. He's the God who understands. He is the God who knows. And he knows a way out of our circumstance. And he knows what he's doing while we are in that circumstance. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the last part of this segment 
as we talk about what this means to us and where to go from there. Well, this is Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. So thankful that you are listening and that you are here today. And if you've just joined in, you can listen to the, this particular show in its entirety on my website, and that is at CynthiaHyatt.com, and that is spelled C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Also love it if you visit my Facebook page. That's Cynthia Hyatt, Inc., I-N-C for Incorporated. And you can like that page. You can also friend request me on my regular page. And you will find lots of motivational, inspirational things as you go through your week. And it will also give you uh, different radio shows that are coming up and if I'm speaking or singing somewhere. So let's get back to this topic that we have today. And that is the God who sees me and the power of being seen and what happens to humans when they are not seen and how terrible that is for us, how toxic it is for us, how how uh, alienating, depressing it can be for us to not be seen, to the point, as we've talked previously, that we might even turn ourselves into somebody we're not, just hoping that we will be seen in a positive way. So if we go back to this, this whole part of Jesus being on the cross, because as we spoke earlier about Hagar feeling forsaken and, and her amazement that God would look upon her and that God would see her, And that's where that verse that I have seen the one who sees me and God saw her. And when we looked at this whole part of of the crucifixion, we see that this is the most painful part of the crucifixion and death was when all the sins of the world were heaped on the shoulders of Jesus and God looked away. And it says in Matthew uh, chapter 27, verse 46, it says, we hear, hear, we hear Jesus cry out and say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the word forsaken actually means to turn away from. This was unbearable anguish to Jesus. And after crying out to God, asking, Why have you forsaken me? He finally said, It is finished. So the blessing for us, the amazing, divine, unmerited blessing, That was the last time those words will ever be uttered. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, mortal man will never have to be forsaken by God again. Because Jesus was willing to bear the sins of the world, and God will then never again look away from us because of our sin. And we have in Hebrews 13, uh, 5, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So in spite, now you understand this verse so much better. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In spite of what we find ourselves in, no matter what we have done, no matter what we are planning, no matter what we've endured, no matter how bad it is, no matter how maybe complicated or impossible it may seem, what God is saying to you is he will never leave you. He will never turn away from you. He is the God who sees you. And I've had times in my life when I felt so lost and I was floundering or just plodding along and I couldn't find my way. I didn't know where I was going or where I was and nothing seemed to fit. And I knew that God knew where I was, but I didn't know where I was. 
And I kept asking God to find me, even though I knew I wasn't lost by him. But I, I had that feeling I needed to be found. Just like Hagar, she's out in the desert, doesn't know where she is, doesn't know where she's going, knows nothing is going well and nothing's going to turn out, feels completely host, hopeless and desperate, and God shows up. And so I would pray. I would say to God, God, please find me. I don't feel found by you. I need to feel seen by you. Do you see me? Do you see what's happening to me? Do you see what I've done? The good things. Or do you see what I've done? The bad things. Nobody sees. Or everybody's seeing the wrong things. Or they think they're seeing, but they're not really seeing me. And so I would say, have you turned away from me? But I had that verse in Hebrews 13, 5, that promise that God said to me, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That's how Hagar felt. I'm sure you have felt that way. I know I have felt that way. The power that came with being seen by God is that when Hagar was seen by God, she could handle anything. She needed to feel found. And if you need to feel found today or seen today by God, I want you to know that this is what God says to you. He says, trust me. I am the God who sees you. You may not see, but I am the God who sees you. I am the way, and I know my way for you. I am the God who sees you. I am the God who knows you. I don't lose anything of value, and you are of immense value to me. I never walk away from what I have made. I am the great I am. I am the God who sees you. I am not as distant as it may feel, nor am I as uninvolved as it may seem. There are things I am doing in your life that are beyond your comprehension. They are too vast for me to explain. They must just take their course and be experienced and not allowed to have the time needed to complete what I am doing. Like a bread dough that is put aside to rise, to allow the yeast to do its work of expansion, you must wait on my work to complete in you. I am in the waiting on ingredients making sure of their necessary order, knowing what the end result needs to be and the time it will take. I won't leave you in the process. I will not forsake you. I will see it through to its fruition. I am the God who sees you. I am the God of formation. I know my process within you. You can trust the one who died for you. You call to me and I will listen. You call out to me and I will hear. I am near, more near than you can conceive. You are learning to discern my presence in different ways, in different stages and different places. Trust in me, the one who sees you. I really want you to take that to heart. That God really is the God who sees you and he is not beyond the circumstances. He understands them completely, and he will not forsake you. So I want you to take heart that that's how Hagar felt. 
And you and I can relate to being in circumstances that are beyond our control or that we, maybe we've even created. Maybe we've messed that up and we need a way out and we don't know what to do. And maybe God is telling you to go back to what you ran from. Go back to that and face it because I'm the God who sees you. I know you. I will be with you. I will not forsake you. And I have plans back there and they are good plans. And so it's important that we learn to discern God's presence in these times where we feel so lost, so bereft, so floundering, so wandering, that we learn to know God in a different way. And so we trust God. He says, trust in me, the one who sees you. So knowing that God sees us and understands us, holding our future in the palm of his hand, we are now called to see and understand others. We are looking on others with condemnation and disdain or compassion. Or are we looking, I'm sorry, are we looking on them with compassion, kindness, and love? How are we looking at people? Are we willing to see them? Are we really actually willing to see who they are and to handle what is going on in their life? Or do we just want to keep that distance and, and give them subtle messages or overt messages that you better get your act together because I really don't want to deal with you until you do? Are we doing that to ourselves? So what we want to think about is we have the eyes of Christ. Christ lives in us. We have the eyes of Christ. And we need to be the eyes of Jesus, looking out on the world in search of the hurt, the forgotten, the lonely, the unseen. It might be just as simple as acknowledging people while you're, well, you know, in the parking lot. You know how nice you feel when, when you're trying to pull into a parking lot and someone's crossing the road and you stop for them and they wave their hand like, hey, thank you. I mean, just those types of things. What about the, the person that's bagging your groceries? Do you see them? Do you acknowledge them? What about the cashier that's doing it? What about your children? Are you just talking at them? Or are you really seeing them? Are you taking time to look at them and see what's going on with them? Hear what's going on in their heart? Really understanding their world. What about your spouse? Are you really interested in what's going on in their day? Are you really feeling pain over what is not happening for them or what they're striving for that's not occurring? Or the thing they're trying to overcome and they keep floundering? Do you really see them? Do you see who God sees? Or do you see who you wish they were or are requiring that they be? And so we really want to focus on this idea that God sees us and accepts us and loves us, encourages us, has died for us. Are we going to be that for others? Are we going to let God see them through our eyes and be a part of that process? And I'm not saying that we accept bad behavior. Of course not. I, I do my whole living it is based upon helping people stop bad behaviors because of the damage that it does to people. So I'm not saying that we accept bad behaviors, but maybe we need to see past the bad behavior as to what's going on. I need to see you and your heart and what is happening to you that is creating all this bad behavior. What's that about? So we have to ask ourselves, do we really want to know people? So we need to be the eyes of Jesus, looking out on the world in search of the hurt, the forgotten, the lonely, the unseen. And so in the words of uh, St. Teresa of Avila, she says, Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hand but yours, no feet but yours. 
Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ must look out on the world. We are to understand that we are forever seen by God and never to be forsaken. We need to tattoo that on our heart, that I now have seen the one who sees in me. And like Hagar, we are able to find strength to endure the hard things in order to see that the work of God is completed in us. And we are then to see, really see, the hurt, the forgotten, the lonely, the unseen, and to be the eyes of Christ to a hurting world. So I want you to ask yourself this week, I want you to look for ways to know God sees you in unlikely ways or unusual places. Maybe it's a compliment that you got you really needed to hear and you wanted to dismiss. Or maybe a song came on the radio and and it spoke to you. And maybe a verse you read cut straight to your heart or, or even a billboard. Maybe somebody in passing, maybe just the show is helping you to know that God is seeing you and knows you and has a plan for your circumstances. And then I want you to ask yourself, how can I actively seek to see and understand those around me? To have eyes of compassion, even if I have a voice of firmness and assertiveness when I say no, I still can do it with compassion. When I confront somebody, when I tell them that it's unacceptable, I still can have compassion. So it's imperative that we really integrate this verse into our own heart, into our own mind. And that as we're walking through our world, as lonely as we may feel, because it's very easy to be lonely in the midst of people, and it's easy to, sometimes we find ourselves lonely even in marriages, lonely even in our church, that we remind ourselves that God is the God who sees us. He is the God who sees you. He is the God who sees me. And that can give me endurance even if I don't see what's going on in my life. I can trust the one who died for me that I will never, ever be forsaken. So I pray that you have a blessed week and that this was helpful to you. Listen to me again next week, same time. Uh, This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And always please visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com and my Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. That's INC for Incorporated. And have a blessed week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, You can hear a replay at any time at faithtalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.